friends. Are you looking for a new podcast? Maybe something you can share with your littles? Something that has some storytelling in it? Well, then look no further. We have Storytime with Philip and Mommy, where my son and I sit and discuss all the great books that you might love while we read them. So, Little Golden Books, Berenstain Bears, and even the new classics like Bluey. We sit down, we read, we discuss, and we have so much fun doing it. Come and join us. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Hi, reader. We're back for another bonus episode of Reading Bug Adventures Author Visits from The Reading Bug, our family-owned children's bookstore in California. Please visit us online at thereadingbug.com and readingbugbox.com. We're writing, recording, and producing a whole new season of Reading Bug Adventures. So let us know where you'd like to adventure next season by emailing me at lauren at readingbugadventures.com or send your ideas to us on Twitter or Facebook at The Reading Bug. And be sure to subscribe to this channel so you're the first to know when new episodes are released. Our author interviews are different from our original stories and are suitable for all ages but they may mostly appeal to kids who are learning to draw or write, and for parents, families, or anyone who wants to learn and discover the latest and greatest books and authors in children's literature. This week, we're speaking with Dan Santat and Aaron Reynolds, illustrator and author of the great new picture book, Dude, and many other incredible award-winning books. Dan and Aaron were nice enough to visit us in our store and talk about how they started writing books, what it's like to work together, and some of the things they've learned in their careers and some of the stories behind their best-known books like Creepy Pair of Underwear, Beagle, After the Fall, Carnivores, and of course, Dude. To purchase any of the books in today's podcast, please visit thereadingbug.com slash authors. Reader, are you ready? Let's fly to our bookstore in California together. It's time for another Reading Bug Adventures author visit. I just flew miles and miles and miles to tell you about a new book I just read. I loved it. Oh, hello, Reading Bug. That's wonderful. I love discovering new books. What's the name of the book? Dude. Well, I know you're excited, but you've got me excited too. What's the name of the book you loved? Dude. Okay, just slow down a second. You're flapping around all over the place. Now, what's the name of the book? Dude. Oh, dude. That's the name of the book that Dan Santat and Aaron Reynolds wrote. Dude. Exactly. Isn't it amazing how many meanings one word can have? That's exactly right, Lauren. Dude is one silly book with fun, bright art in just one word. Dude. Just one word. How fun is that? Sometimes the very best books to read out loud are the ones you can change just by reading them in a different way. You can have a lot of fun with your child trying on a new voice or a new inflection. 
And a one-word book is a perfect read-aloud for just that reason. I was laughing all day as I read the book over and over and over again. Dude. 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 I loved it so much that I brought a couple of friends with me to your store today. Dan Santat and Aaron Reynolds, the illustrator and author of this fun new picture book. Aaron Reynolds, he wrote Creepy Carrots and Creepy Pair of Underwear. He sure did. Creepy Carrots is one of my favorites to read around Halloween and Easter because it's about a bunny who sees carrots that are creepy. And Creepy Pair of Underwear is really silly. In that book, the bunny is scared of underwear. (laughs) Imagine being afraid of underwear. Lauren, did you know that Aaron has written more than 35 children's books? Another favorite of mine is Nerdy Birdie. I've met a few of those flying around. They're great readers, just like me. And Dan Santat has written and illustrated a ton of books, too. He wrote and illustrated The Adventures of Beagle, which won the Caldecott a few years ago, and After the Fall, which is about getting back on your feet again when you're feeling down. He also illustrated Oh No! with author Mac Barnett. Oh, and did you know Dan and Aaron have worked together before? They wrote Carnivores. I hope they'll tell us about that, too. I'm so excited to speak with them. I have so many questions to ask. Thanks for bringing them to the store to chat, Reading Bug. Why don't you stick around so you can ask them a few questions, too? Absolutely. Thank you. Oh, hey, look. Here they come now. Hi, Dan. Hi, Aaron. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Let's start with Dan. Reading Bug, do you want to ask the first question? Yes, thank you. Dan. Did you always want to be an author and illustrator? Uh, I always wanted to be uh, something in the creative field. Uh, It was just a matter of whether or not that was feasible because my parents uh, wanted me to be a doctor. Mm. So uh, I think think the hopes and dreams were always there, which is why, you know, growing up, I was always drawing and writing my own stories. But, you know, my parents always instilled it in, in me to say that it was going to be a hobby. And it wasn't until my senior year of college when I was finishing up a microbiology degree and, uh, you know, applying to dental school where all my friends said, you know, you're going to be a horrible dentist. Uh, maybe you should just see if you get into art school. Just, just see if you can get in. <laughs> And and then you know I just I just started taking figure drawing workshops and 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 things like that, trying to throw a portfolio together, and going on the internet and looking up art schools around the country and just applying uh, to all these art schools and d- just to see if I could get in. You know, I mean, up to that point, I was really self-taught, and I remember I mean, it was around the time when the Lion King came out and 3D animation, like with computers, was all the rage. Mm-hmm. And all these articles were coming out saying you can you can have a really lucrative career, you know, learning to draw and animate on a computer. And I remember thinking, this is this is probably the thing that I can tell my parents that will give me permission uh, and make it seem okay to do art as a profession. And so I got into art school. I attended the Art Center College of Design, and uh, I remember on my graduation day, uh, I was at dinner with my parents, and they were just. They were just saying, you know, oh well, are you ready to go to dental school? And I said, I I got into, I got into art school. And I remember my dad, like, it, it looked like all the color in his face had just washed out, and he had stopped cutting his food, and he just looked at me. And before he had said anything else, I thought, 
I better say something before he tells me no. And I said, I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to do this whether you like it or not. And he looked at me and he said, well, I just want you to be happy. You know, and I said, and I remember I was talking with Aaron about it, and I said, you know what? I kind of wish, I kind of wish he had told me that way back in high school. <laughs> A little less pressure, right? <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. What What is your favorite medium when you when you are making art? Do you do everything on the computer, or do you paint? Do you draw? So this blows me away. We've, yeah. we've been talking a lot about this on this tour, Yeah, is that not being an illustrator myself, um, I was oblivious to when, like, I knew he worked a lot on the computer, yeah. but I was oblivious when we got into our putting our presentation together for this tour, and, and when I really started to understand that, wait, pencil, marker, pen never touched paper. Interesting. To make the book, or to make really most of the books you yeah. make, right? Yeah, that was all digital. Yeah, you know, it's wow. that that blow. You know, it just blows my mind. Yeah, and how? So how did the how did the technology evolve since you started? Though I mean, every year there's something new coming out that you can draw well, with. Well, it's funny. There's, so there's a lot of things because when I went to art school, everything you know, I came out with a traditional portfolio of just acrylic and colored pencil mm-hmm. and ink and paper. And you know, I broke into the business around 2004. And back then in children's publishing. Digital art was really taboo. Like, no publisher wanted to take a chance on doing digital art because it just had this cold, robotic feel. Yeah. And then as the years were going by, more and more people were slowly integrating it into their work, and it was just, it was slowly starting to be accepted. And I remember, I remember at a certain point, I just said, okay, well, if I'm, I'm going to do digital work, I'm going to, it's going to be all or nothing. And the only reason why, I resorted to digital work was because uh, after I had my first son, it was very exhausting to you know. I, at the time, I had a full, I had a couple full time jobs, and then um, I was I was you know taking care of this kid, and then uh, when it was time to illustrate the book, I didn't want to compromise on quality, but I also wanted to hit my deadlines. Yeah. And so I was working digitally, and I just I just made the commitment, and I said, okay, well I got this book project. I hope they're okay with me doing digital work, uh, but I was going to paint digitally to try to make it look like it was done by hand. Mm-hmm. And you know, and at first I was working with like these pre-made brushes that gave this feel of like uh, chalk or or a paint stroke, and it it just wasn't quite there. And so when I look back at my earlier digital work, it just feels like a crude attempt at trying to look like um, you know artificial uh, textures of real materials. Um, and it wasn't until around 2000, I want to say it was like 2008 or 2009 when I did a book with Mac Barnett called Oh No or How My that's Science Project That's what I was going to ask you about because that one I felt like was there. Right. And yeah. then I said, you know what? I'm just going to go all digital on this. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it just really resonated with, with people. And, um, and then, you know, and I, and I was achieving a quality that I was really happy with, um, with, a, with a body of work that probably would have taken – an extra month or two to do just to get the same results. Uh-huh. Now, as time has gone on, I slowly started integrating more traditional media. Like with Beagle, um, you know, I would do watercolor washes and I would draw little things in um, in pen and paper, and then I would scan that in and integrate it into the work. And uh, the, this last book that I just finished up uh, is called Drawn Together. I'd have to say it's probably 
80% traditional media and 20% digital. So 100% beautiful. <laughs> and I just kind of find myself reverting back to my old ways and 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 finding a really great joy in the process of uh, working with tangible materials. And um, you know, I mean, I can't I can't say where I'm going to be 5, 10 years from now, but um, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't ever like settling in one style. I always like to evolve. Um, you know, I look at the book that Aaron and I did called Carnivores, uh, which we did years back. And I, I, and I think about how I've improved as an artist just working on Dude and, and seeing, you know, how, how I've changed. And uh, just taking a really great pride and just having the confidence of exploring and not settling on saying, oh, this is a style that the consumer wants and I'm going to give it to them. I'm, 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 doing, I'm still doing and crafting the art for my sake. Dan, I love the mix of different styles of artwork in all your books. And what's super interesting is that once you started mixing digital with other mediums in Beagle, you went to Calicut, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think the intention was to say, how could I win a Calicut? Right. You know, it was more of... Um, communicating on a level of, well, the twist at the end of the story is that you find out that the girl, Alice, is the artist for this story. Like, she has been writing the story about how they met. So I wanted the medium to <laughs> allude to um, a handcrafted feel. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and also it, it, had a, it had a very folktale kind of feel. It had a very magical folktale kind of feel to it. So I wanted to give it that that touch of of something being handcrafted, um, and with that said, um, you know, like having a digital feel, having it even on glossy paper, you know, like everything was on glossy paper, and then to have an uncoated stock um, printed on the book, it felt like a sketchbook, you know, and I was just I, I was spending more time just being more mindful about not drawing in my particular style, but being sensitive to the form and the function of the product. So in other words, if the book has that feel of a folk, you know, like imaginary fairy tale, I wanted it, I wanted the book to feel and look like, you know, books that were printed back in the day that just had an old, you know, very magical feel to it. So Aaron, let's backtrack a little bit, actually, and talk a little bit about your background, because everybody has a different career path, and um, I always find it interesting where people actually started. You had a lot of odd jobs before you became an author. I did. I was in, I, my, my, my start was in theater. That was my, uh, my when I went, was in high school, um, I wasn't a great student, um, but I was creative. I knew that I was creative and my parents, you know, God bless them. They would, they would be the first to say, man, we screwed, we screwed it up a lot. But I would say what they did do is they were just okay with me being who I was, which was kind of a big goofball, kind of ridiculous, kind of funny, kind of, and you know, not, you know, yes, they wanted me to get better grades than I was getting. Yes. All that. But you know, when all of my time went to being in the shows and being in plays and being in theater and being in show choir and being, they were like, you you do you, go, go, fly. So I, I think the bummer of high school is you never, if you don't fit into the, okay, academically, here's what you should go and major in in college box. If you don't fit into that, then guidance counselors and teachers don't know what to do with you. So no one ever... 
said, like, you're really creative and you're not the best student in the world, but let me unveil to you the smorgasbord of creative jobs that exist out there for a guy like you. You can go into the movie business. You can go into animation. You can be a composer. You got like, these are all real jobs. No one's telling kids. These are real jobs. So um, I knew I liked being in the plays and I knew I liked being in a show choir. So I thought I must be an actor. So I'll go to theater school. So that's what I did. I didn't have any idea there were other possibilities. Being an author wasn't even on the radar. Um, so I was, I went to college, studied theater, um, graduated from theater school and moved to Chicago to do professional theater and did that for years. And um, great, had a blast, got, got fairly steady work, not always great paying work, but got steady work, did a number of other jobs, waited tables, worked in an office, blah, 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 blah. But after about 10 years, I was like, this is exhausting, and I, I could see, like, eventually maybe I'm, okay, I'm going to maybe start to be able to really make good money at it eventually. But, you know, it, it was 10 years in, and we were like, do we want to have a family? Do we want to, you know, what's how long do you wait tables and, and temp and before it goes from being romantic and sexy to being sad? <laughs> so I was like, other options, let's say. So, so I went to culinary school, and... Um, was in culinary school, um, doing it on nights and on the weekends, and I was a semester away from graduating. And I got a job for, or a, a call from an old friend of mine who was like, "Hey, what if you could use all your theater and storytelling and performing skills, but get a steady paycheck for it?" And I'm like, hmm. "No, I don't do that anymore. I'm a cook now. I'm in I'm in culinary school." And she was like, well, I, we're opening this, you know, we're doing this kind of production company thing. We're going to be creating a lot of new content. We're going to be doing a lot of experimental stuff. And and I want you to, like, lead a creative team. And I'm like, but no, I'm not doing that anymore. All right. So I said no. But then two weeks later, I'm like, yes, okay. I, I For some reason, I had no peace about saying no. So took a big leap of faith. I quit culinary school with a semester to go. And I went and I took this job. And uh, I was there for 12 years, had a blast. It was amazing. A lot of performing, lots of leading other creatives, super fun. But one of the parts of the job that I never expected to be part of the job was writing. And I, I had to write a lot of scripts and plays and theater productions. And part of that was a project for kids. I had never written for kids in my life. Um, but I loved it. It was, it's like something lit. And uh, I'm like, I want more of this. So I did more and more and more. And eventually I said, I don't care if I never perform again. I want to write. I want to write. You're everything when you're the writer. You're the director. You're the producer. You're the actor. You're the, you, you have all the power. And, and to this day, I, you know, I have friends I went to theater school with who are performing on Broadway. And they're telling me about their lives. I'm like, that was what I wanted to do when I was in high school. I'm like, oh, that's my dream. And now when I hear them talk about it, I'm like, gosh, I feel like I won. Because <laughs> I feel like I've got it, you know, really so much better. I mean, I get to, you know, they're talking about the directors making me do this. And I'm like, I don't have anyone telling me that. Mm. So so eventually I said, I, I think I'm going to try and write a kid's book. So... I'm doing that job. I started writing a kid's book. Um, I sent my story to some publishers and uh, almost immediately got letters back in the mail. 
And they were like, hey, Aaron, thanks for sending us your story. This story stinks. We do not like your story. We are never going to turn it into a book. <laughs> Signed the editors. And so I, I was like, fine, be that way. So I wrote another story, sent that one off to some publishers. More letters in the mail. Hey, Aaron, thanks for sending us your story. This story smells. We hate you. We hate your story. You are a terrible person. We're never going to turn your story into a book. I mean, that's, you know, I'm, that's just how I remember it. Anyway, I don't know if that's, that's not a quote. Really but <laughs> that's not a quote. I'm just, that's how I remember it in my heart. So, um but I loved the process. I, I loved learning. I loved learning about the industry, that this is a business and there's a right way and a wrong way of doing things. You know, and I hear about these people who want to be authors. And they're like, I wrote it on, you know, perfumed paper and I put glitter in the envelope, <laughs> but I sent it off to an editor. They're going to love it. And I'm like, no, they're going to hate you. It's filled with glitter. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And and so it was fascinating to me. I love learning. So I love, And I love learning about new things and, and deepening my own knowledge about things I know just a little bit about. So it was really fascinating to learn how this industry works and how that there is a proper format for a picture book. And picture books are not easy to write, that the fewer words you have to work with, the harder it is and the better your storytelling ability has to be. So so I, uh, I joined SCBWI, mm-hmm. which if you're listening, that's... And you're that's wanting to write to a book, that's mm-hmm. where you need to go, scbwi.org, Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And... Um, I went to conferences and I learned and I got better and better. And so during all this time of of writing, learning, growing, sending manuscripts out, I received 390 rejection letters. Wow. For five years, I received nothing but rejection letters and and I kept every one of them. So I know for a fact there's 390 in that box I have at home that's labeled rejections. But I I didn't give up. I I could tell it was getting better. And so... um, one day, after five years, 390 rejection letters, phone rang, and it was a publisher at Bloomsbury. And uh, she said— Oh, they called you. They didn't she send did. you a letter. Nice. No, phone nice. call. They only call with the good news. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The bad news comes in the mail. We wanted to personally yeah. call yes, to tell yes, you yes. never to write Yes, again. Again. never write to us again. <laughs> Sign the Yeah. So, so they called and they said, you know, that's we want to publish your first book. We want to publish this book. So, and then they, and then that same publisher rejected my next seven manuscripts. No. Yeah, yeah. Blue so, <laughs> but that's. Uh, I think that's important to know. If you, you know, if you're a writer, you're an aspiring author. You're you want to write. That's. I, th- I think it's very easy to get to to read about. You know, the couple authors that wrote their first picture book and they it imme- immediately was bought by an editor, immediately became a bestseller. And like that's like point zero 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 one percent. That's not the norm. Um, the path is is one paved with rejection, mm-hmm. paved with hard work. There's no shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Nobody you know is going to call a publisher and say, publish my friend's book. Um, it's that's not how it works. So there's no shortcut. It's just hard work and and pain and rejection and getting better until you're over on you're over the hill. Erin, you have so many books that are laugh out loud funny, but I fell off my branch giggling at creepy pair of underwear. It may be even funnier than creepy carrots. How did you come up with something so silly? And were you worried about writing a sequel? Uh, I um. I was very resistant to the idea of doing a sequel. 
my publisher had been asking almost immediately um, for an, uh, as soon as Creepy Carrots went out there and did really well, um, my publisher was like, so book number two, book number two. And I never expected Creepy Carrots to do as well as it did. To be honest, it was widely rejected early on. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you showed and, them. Uh, boo all you publishers. And uh, so, um, so I, I didn't even have my eye on that. I, I mean, it kind of snuck up by, behind me and took me by surprise how how well it did. And like, I mean, I remember the day the Caldecott uh, uh, honors and awards were announced. Like. It wasn't even on my radar. I, wasn't, I didn't even know that was the day until my publisher called and said, uh, Creepy Carrots got the Caldecott honor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so thankful that it did so well. So mm-hmm. happy that this quirky book about, uh, you know, a bunny who's being stalked by evil carrots <laughs> um, finds a, an audience. And I was very resistant to doing a sequel. I, I felt like... This one felt pitch perfect to me. It seemed to hit pitch perfect with readers, with librarians, with everyone. And I hate it when a book is brilliant and then publishers squeeze it for every cent it's worth and do seven more and they all suck. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't want to do that. Like to, movie sequels. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to, I don't want to write a second one and have it suck because mm-hmm. that's going to just take away from the first one. Mm-hmm. It just is. And so I'm like, I'd rather not do another one than do one and have it stink. So, so five years passed and I had no plans to do one. Um, Kids asked for it. Publishers asked for it, and I kind of pretty much said no. That's it's probably not going to happen unless I can. I feel like I can come up with an idea that I think is just as good as the first one. That if Creepy Carrots had never existed, this book would stand on its own two legs. And then I was at a school. I had just read Creepy Creepy uh, yes. Creepy Carrots uh, to the school in Virginia. And uh, afterwards, I was doing a little book signing afterwards, very small little group and an evening thing. And this little boy walked up to me, probably second grade, and uh, said, I'll never forget this kid. He walked up and said, Aaron Reynolds, just one name, Aaron Reynolds, <laughs> a Creepy Carrots book, hilarious. You need to write a book about scary underpants. <laughs> and I was like, ga, 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 you are brilliant, small child. <laughs> Like in, in that flash, that was like, I mean, immediately it's green underwear. It's I just, boom, I knew. That's it. That's so good. That's really solid. Like right there, like being scared of your own underpants. Like, I mean, it wasn't just like, because a lot of people, they hear, they, when they talk to me about creepy pair of underwear, they go, well, well, any book with the word underwear in it is an automatic hit. And I'm like, no, 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 that's nonsense. That's nonsense. Because it couldn't just be a book about with the word underwear in it. It had to be a good story. And it had to have a satisfying arc to it. And, um... And I felt like there's something magical about the concept of being terrified of your own underpants. There's something cool there. So I went home and I began to write it. And I knew it. It I, I was I was terrified. I knew it had to be solid. It had to be. Um, it had to hold up. And uh, and so that I, I began to write and I began to hammer on it and I did revised it and hammered on it and really challenged myself to say, you're not going to hand in anything that's subpar. You've got to 
delivers something really solid. And, you know, and again, that's the magic of the uh, editorial process as well. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'll just I'll publish my own book. And God bless you if that's your thing, that's what you want to do. But it'll never be as good as it could be if you were published by a publisher. I agree. Because my editor took what I wrote and he made it 10 times better. It was Justin, my editor, who said the whole angle about him wanting to be a big rabbit, him wanting to say, you know, I'm not a little bunny anymore. I'm a big rabbit now. That's the hook. And you you, you, you you mention it, but it's not the thrust of the book yet. That's where the story is. And I'm like, oh, you're right. You know, if you're self-publishing your own thing, you're not getting that. And, and that it's never going to be right. as good right. as as it should be. So, so um, together we chipped away at it and hammered it out. And, and uh, yeah, and I was delighted to, to have people come up and say, it's not it's not just as good as the first one. It's better than the first one. I'm like, yes. All right. Now they're saying, where's the third one? And I'm like, get off oh, me. Oh, no. Get off me. We'll start working on the kids during our school visits. Yeah. yeah. See what they can it. come up with. We'll see. You know, I'm, I'll only do a third one if I feel like I can if I can live up to the first two. That's it. Excellent. There's plenty of other stories out there to write that aren't necessarily about Jasper. Well, Aaron. I love Jasper, and if you write it, I'm definitely going to read it. I'm sure it will be hilarious. And Dan, I really loved your book, After the Fall, which you wrote and illustrated, right? Oh, yes. That's a great book. The main character is Humpty Dumpty, and although he's from a nursery rhyme we all know, it's a pretty serious book about lifting yourself up and getting on your feet again. It's not what you think of as a standard children's picture book, but it really resonates with both kids and parents. Can you tell us how that came about? The book is a love letter to my wife. Um, you know, for her, for most of her life, she suffered from anxiety to the point where, um, I, you know, after having our first kid, she was suffering from postpartum depression. And she didn't really realize it. I mean, neither of us really realized it until we look back in retrospect. So After the Fall is a love letter to her. It's, it's, it's about her overcoming her anxieties. Um... As a theme, you know, I actually see that in my son. My son has inherited it from from my wife, and um, and I don't know if it's a thing that more people recognize or if more kids have anxiety these days. But um, you're just hearing more and more of it, and I felt there is an audience out there that needs to hear this and you know be inspired by what my wife overcame, and. Humpty Dumpty just happened to be the perfect, um, you know, device to communicate that idea. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you're trying to write a book for kids, but, you know, you work with your editor and you work up an ending that really exceeds your own expectations. Mm-hmm. And um, the book goes out there. And people who have anxiety clearly get it. Mm -hmm. People who don't quite have anxiety may or may not. I totally get it. And so do so many kids I know. It's the kind of book that I'll read again and again, and it makes me want to get up and fly. I agree. Now, you two have worked together before writing Dude, right? Can you tell me a little bit more about your collaborations? One of the things I love about working with Dan and, and Dan's books in particular is every detail has been thought out. Some of my favorite parts of his books that we've done together are like the in papers. 
You know, yeah. and carnivores. The right. end papers are brilliant. And if you're listening right now and you have carnivores, go get it open right it up. now. I'm and open, open it up, up now. the end pages right now. Because the front is this is it's this clever joke of um the carnivore food pyramid. And it's a triangle and everything is in it. Every creature in the like world is, is crammed out <laughs> narwhal, a squirrel, yeah. and they're all just looking terrified, like, oh gulp, we're yeah. in the food chain. And so that's a funny joke just by itself. But then you flip it to the back, and at the end of carnivore. It's the food, the carnivore food pyramid, and it's empty. It's empty. It's, it's like except for the the squirrel's acorn, a little acorn, because it's not. It's not and it's because they've all been eaten. They've yeah. all been eaten by the end of the book, right. and uh, right. it's just you know that level of just attention to. It's actually one of my. It's one of my favorite book jackets too. Of all of the yeah. book jackets I've ever yeah. done, um, because I communicate. I communicate meat as effectively as I possibly can. And really, it's just the three main characters. It's a, it's a timber wolf, a lion, and a shark, and they're wrapped in a meat package. And so, yeah, they're shrink-wrapped. And really, the best detail of the cover is actually the back part of the book, where you just see the shrink wrap just bunched up together. Mm-hmm. And then it just like, it says, like, USDA choice and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know, like... And then, and then the art director actually went out of their way to spot gloss the cover, and then the title and and the and the packaging and everything. It's, it's that it's that rough like sticky mm-hmm. printer paper that mm-hmm. they print on to yeah. give the price of the meat. Right. And It'll you know, be like a sticker on that right. paper sticker that goes onto the the cling wrap on yeah. the hamburger that says you know. Everybody price. just was on. You know, everybody just got it, and everyone just. Communicated to its best ability to make it feel like you were picking up a package of meat, and that's that's yep. yeah, yep. and it's because I communicated it effectively. Lauren and I go on adventures together in each episode of our story podcast, Reading Bug Adventures. And I know that every good story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. That's right, Reading Bug. Dan, Aaron, how do you start writing a story that turns into a book? I don't know about Aaron, but um, a lot of my time is spent consumed with uh, like a one-word concept. Uh, and, and I'm really into the symbology of things. So I try to think of a theme that a kid can relate to, and then I try to think of a symbol that can uh, address that theme. So, for example, you know, the idea of a kid... Uh, falling off a bike and being discouraged and maybe being too afraid to try riding on that bike again. Mm-hmm. So I I take that theme of falling and fear and then I think of something that applies to that to that problem. And and at the time, like Humpty Dumpty was the thing that came to mind. Because when you just say Humpty Dumpty, mm-hmm. you automatically think of falling. Yeah. And Right there, I already had half the story figured out. You already, if you just say Humpty Dumpty, you don't even have to explain it. You already know what happened. Now I can dedicate the rest of the book to how he got the courage to go back up the wall. And now I work a lot differently than most people do. I'll flesh out the idea in my head and think about what I want to say, but I don't start with the script. I actually draw a wordless picture book first, Mm -hmm. and then I sprinkle the words on top. That way you're not being too redundant with your dialogue. So uh, one of the golden rules in children's books is you show, don't tell. So you never want to be redundant. So with After the Fall, or with any of my books, I'll write a wordless picture book, and then I'll see what it communicates, and then I only write what needs to be said. I think the best example I have is like in Beagle, 
when uh, Beekle is sailing away on the ship past the Rainbow Dragon, uh, it doesn't say, oh, and then he set off on an adventure. Because the illustration already communicates that idea. Instead, I write, he did the unimaginable. Because it has just a more emotional uh, touch to it. Mm -hmm. And as a result... um, it's like figure skating. You have you have the art doing its job. You have the words doing their job, but they're synchronized in trying to make something beautiful together. Yeah, that's another thing that I really appreciate about Dan, and and other illustrators who I've been lucky enough to work with. Many of them is that the best illustrators don't just illustrate the story I told. Mm-hmm. They illustrate the story that's happening around the story I told. Mm-hmm. That he's not just drawing what happens in my words, he's drawing what happens beyond my words. So there's whole, when you read Dude or when you read Carnivores, there's this whole story happening in the pictures that I never wrote. Right. Dude is the best example of that. It really yeah. Yeah. Showing and telling. Yeah. 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 Lauren, I just can't wait any longer. We need to talk about Dude. <laughs> okay, okay, you're right, Reading Bug. Speaking of one-word concepts, let's talk about your latest collaboration, Dude. This book is amazing and so much fun because there's only one word in it. How in the world did you decide to write a picture book with only one word? I wanted to do something different, something that would push me. Um, I I have 35 books out. They all have plenty of words. And um, so I thought, okay, is it possible to do a wordless picture book? And um, I'm like, all right, A, that's going to be hard because you don't draw. So that's already a trick. But I could still figure it out. I could still do that. But B, um, there's so many already been out there that are done and that have been done. And there's lots of wordless picture books. So I thought, I don't think that's your thing. Then I thought, could I do a picture book with no word? With no, a picture book with no pictures. Picture book with no pictures? You're a genius, Aaron. No one's ever thought of it before. Nobody, BJ Novak. Except BJ Novak. And and so I'm like, ah, blast him. (laughs) The book with no pictures is already out, and it's already brilliant, and I read it. Good job, BJ. Thanks. Thanks a lot, (laughs) BJ Novak. Novak. And um, so I read it, and I was like, I had mixed feelings of both joy about how brilliant it was and what a gift to the world it was, and then seething bitterness and jealousy, because <laughs> I wish I had, you know, 10 minutes earlier I had come up with it before him. And all those acting skills just came right out. There. Right, yeah. yeah. So then I thought, are there any, any books out there with, written in just one word? And there may be others. Don't, like, send me emails and say, you forgot this one. There might be others. But the only one I could find was one called Hug. And very sweet, very quiet, about a baby monkey who wants a hug from his mama monkey. Lovely. But anyone that knows me knows I am not a quiet, sweet, soft-spoken person. I am rowdy and loud and obnoxious and and uh, goofy and... And that's the kind of book I wanted to write. So I said, I, if I'm going to write a one-word picture book, the word has got to encapsulate all of that. And what word can possibly do that? And then I realized, dude, the one word, four little letters, with so much meaning for so many people in this world. So I thought, that, that I, can, I can write a whole book with just the word dude. I think I can do that. 
But then I had to write a story. I had to, because just writing dude, like, like even librarians will come up to me and they're like, so did you just write dude 25 times? Give it to the editor? No, that's not how it works, no. So I had to come up with a story and communicate a story clearly to my publisher, clearly to an illustrator, what the story is, even though no word but the word dude would be in the story. So I sat down and I began to write a story completely in st- stage directions. In, um, in action sequences. And um, so I sat down and I began to write a story about a platypus and a beaver who meet, meet up on the beach and go surfing and, and have an unexpected encounter with a shark that turns out very differently than they thought it would. And that became Dude. Isn't it amazing how theater was the base for all of this, too? You just said you were writing in stage directions, and these yeah. are all things that you learned. Uh-huh. From starting in theater. Yeah, it so is. It and wasn't nothing's all wasted. Nothing. No, nothing's wasted. No learning is wasted. No life experience is wasted. It all fuels into whatever comes next. I agree. I just keep on reading. I love it. One question. You two paired up so well on this book. I love the story. And I love the illustrations. Aaron, did you get to choose Dan as the illustrator for Dude? I didn't. I, um, I... I don't think I've ever gotten to choose an illustrator. Um, we early in my career, they wouldn't even ask. They couldn't care less what I thought. They were just like, uh, "We want to publish a book, and here's who's illustrating it. Like it or not." And I'm like, "Yes, please, fine." Um, but these days, it's more. We usually have a dialogue, and it usually goes something like this: "Hey, Aaron, do you have any suggestions for uh, an illustrator?" And I say, "Yes. How about this person? This person? This person?" And then they go, "Oh, that's very interesting. We were thinking about this person, and yeah. that's who's going to do it." <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks for asking. Um, <clears throat> so usually, so they've never chosen anybody I've suggested, but I'm not complaining because you know I always I, I've I've been very lucky in ending up with some amazing people. So. Um, so we, st- Neil and I, my editor on this book, we started to talk about it, and I said, I said, hey, um, do you have any ideas for the illustrator? Because I was thinking, and he interrupted me and said, no, Dan Santat's doing it. And I was like, yes, please, okay, the end. And so that was it. Oh, well, now I'm curious if he asked me before he told you, or did he just say, we're going to ask Dan, and I'm going to make Dan say yes. Yeah, I don't know what the order of that was. Controversy. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, I mean, there was no question. It was... Uh, you know, it was. He was like, "No, this is rambunctious. This is rowdy. This is uh, it, it." Dan is is ideal for this. Right. Also, when you work with someone like Neil Porter, you know, he's he's such he's such a legend in the business. Mm-hmm. You'd be crazy to kind of yeah. say you know, no. Whatever Just you do think. What he says. No, Neil. Uh, yes, I have a better idea. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I remember getting the manuscript. I remember getting the manuscript and. Um, and Aaron and I have very similar tastes in humor, you know. So uh, when we did Carnivores, I really appreciated it. And when and when I got Dude, I remember reading it and saying, "Yeah, no, this 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 story, this just this format is very much uh, an entertaining idea." And you know, the humor was right up my alley. And I thought, of course, Aaron Reynolds wrote this, <laughs> you know. Um, and the stage, the, you know, the stage directions were great; they were clear. <coughs> And I, I, you know, I think I had a B.J. Novak moment with Aaron where, you know, I just, I wish I wrote it, you know, because it was a brilliant idea. And I remember thinking to myself or, you know, I've caught myself many times just saying, dude, and, and, and you know, the applicable thing for kids is the different ways you can inflect on the word and make it mean, you know, various things. In fact, I mean, I would, it, it takes hug a step further, 
mm-hmm. you know, where the, the monkey only knows the word hug and just wants a hug. And, you know, here it's, you're taking, you're taking the, the word dude, you're writing it multiple times, but each time you say it has a different meaning. Mm-hmm. On a deeper level, that's brilliant. Mm. And, you know, and, and the, uh, I mean, as a, as a lesson, you know, for, for kids, because I don't think that's something young kids are very mindful of, of, you know, I, you know, maybe, maybe in like different cultures, like in Thai, you know, I can say cow, which means white. But if you say cow means um, like, like, you know, like, like rice, you know, but you don't really have that. You don't really have that in the English language. Like inflection. Yeah. The way you inflect on a word yeah. is, is, it gives it a different mm. meaning. Um but you know, I had so much fun on carnivores that you know, I, I knew that I knew that working with Aaron, we were going to make something for kids that they would really enjoy. So when Neil when Neil asked me to illustrate the book, yeah, it was a no brainer. Mm. I you know, I read it, I thought it was hilarious, and we were off to the races. Yeah. yeah. Well, the kids today at the schools that you visited, um, local to the Reading Bug, were so thrilled to have you guys there and I know they thought it was hilarious and they're all bringing it home with them so right. we saw some uh, principles that were just like my taste <laughs> you know, screaming into like, the microphones hey, you invited us <laughs> <laughs> well you definitely got a lot of kids excited about reading today Dan Santat and Aaron Reynolds thank you so much for being thank with you. us it's today a pleasure. thanks for thank having you very us much. and thank I just you. I just want to say to everyone listening if uh you know, amazing stores like the Reading Bug are an endangered species. So if you are lucky enough to have one in your own neighborhood, um, not only should you frequent it, but then if you, but then don't do the thing where you browse there because it's super cool and they know everything about books and they're just excited as you are, and then go home and order it online. Right. Yeah. So that's bogus. Keep please. us here. Um, yeah, if you, if you see it there, buy it there so that they will continue to be there. Right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. To purchase any of the books you've heard about in today's podcast, please visit thereadingbug.com slash authors. Our Author Visits podcast is produced by The Reading Bug, our family-owned children's bookstore in California, and sound mixing and mastering is done by the team at Resonate Recordings. To learn more about us, visit thereadingbug.com. And to get great books picked by independent bookstore experts at The Reading Bug, like me, and ship monthly to your doorstep, visit readingbugbox.com. Reading Bug Box offers a personalized selection of great books based on each child's unique age and interests and reading level. Exciting and engaging children at every age with great literature and exclusive content like games, craft ideas, author-signed copies, and more. It's the kind of subscription service that only an independent bookstore can provide. For photos and fun details about our boxes, follow us on social media at Reading Bug Box. A very special thanks to Dan Santat and Aaron Reynolds, who were so gracious with their time. Thanks also to the entire staff of The Reading Bug and to you, our listeners. Stay tuned. We'll be back soon with another Reading Bug Adventures author visit. Calling all trivia nerds, Brittany here, and I host the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast with my best friend, Meredith. Is your next car ride looking like a snooze fest? 
We've got The Cure, three rounds of awesome trivia every week. Harry Potter, Disney, science, sports, you name it. No more silent car troubles. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Connect, laugh, and learn with your kids, big and small. (laughs) New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast.